So we're going to talk about Galatians chapter 2, 15 through 16, how Paul condemns salvation by the works of the law. As you're turning, I realize we have new folks here. Um, one of the things about our giving, if you want to give, this is the first Sunday of the month, benevolent giving. Uh, we have a deacon fund that helps meet the needs of people in our church and outside of our church. And you can put money in that offering envelope there in the pew in front of you, or the chair in front of you, and you could drop those in out there. And also, you could, if you want to give to the remodel, you can do the same way as well. Either give online to the drop-down box, or also through the offering envelopes and put them in the boxes in the lobby. So how are believers justified in God's sight? The question to answer in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we come. We thank you for the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit that helps us to understand the word of God. We thank you the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword that divides the marrow and the muscles and goes right to our heart. And so, Lord, we pray you'll speak, you will speak to us, speak to our hearts this morning as we study your word. And thank you for the power that's in it. Pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this message is centered on the doctrine of justification. I encourage you to take out your outline. Paul spends significant time on this doctrine to emphasize its importance and explain it so we as Christ followers can apply this doctrine of justification in our everyday lives. This, this is a great topic for us to process and unravel. Many religions try different things to appeal to their God for forgiveness, acceptance, to try to appease them so they can get something in return that maybe that God would bless them or not do something mean to them. But they always walk away without a peace and assurance that their sins have been taken care of or their prayers have been answered. But in all these world religions, there's no assurance of salvation and no personal connection with their God. You think of Islam. Allah is their God. Now think of that. Allah has 99 names and love is not listed as one of the character qualities of Allah. There's five pillars of faith. They have to do these things uh, continually to keep and maintain their faith. The repetition of the creed. There is no God but God or Allah. And Muhammad is the messenger of God. They have to say that every day. Daily prayer, five times a day, Muslims pray facing east to Mecca. Almsgiving or giving of offerings and tithes, they're expected to give 2.5 to 10% of their income. And begging is acceptable as a practice in Islam. Fasting, you've heard of the, uh, the fast of Ramadan, and they do that one month out of the year. And during daylight hours, they're to abstain from food, from drinking, from smoking, from sex. And then once in their lifetime, they have to take a pilgrimage to Mecca. The Quran requires this. Uh, the poor often use their life savings to make this trip. Think about it. Before air travel, loved ones, when they were older, would say goodbye to their family and go to Mecca, and then they would die there because they had no way to get home. 
And so we see that they do these things continually to try to appease Allah and see if they're going to make it into paradise. We think of Jainism. There's 12 steps to becoming and staying in the Jain religion, and they have to continue to do this. The Hindus believe you have to go once a year to the Ganges River and wash in it to be forgiven for their sins for another year. The one thing these religions and others have in common, even Roman Catholicism, is that you don't have any assurance or true understanding of where you stand in your relationship to God until you die and stand before him. The great news of the gospel and our salvation is that we have assurance that we learned as we went through verse by verse this summer and as we looked at 1 John and 1 John 5.13 is the key verse. These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life by believing on the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So we, as believers in Christ, have peace. We have confidence. We have a sense of connection with our Heavenly Father when we pray and see God answer our prayers. So the key to this understanding is the doctrine of justification. In Galatians 2.16, this is the first appearance of the important word justification in this letter. Justification by faith was the watchword of the Reformation. And it's important that we understand this doctrine. We just had Halloween on Tuesday, but that also commemorates 506 years ago, Martin Luther nailing his 95 thesis to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And the basis of that was the idea that you could be justified by faith alone in Christ and his finished work on the cross where he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Job 9.2 asks a really important question. How should a man be just with God? And God answers that question in Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by faith. Do you realize that the book of Romans explains the meaning of the just? Galatians explains the shall live part. And Hebrews explains by faith. Those books are all wrapped up in explaining this very important doctrine of justification. So in the secular world, what did justification mean? Well, in the Greek culture, the word for justification meant a judge declaring an accused person not guilty and right before the law. But what is justification from God's perspective? Well, reading from John MacArthur's commentary in Galatians, here's a good definition And there's lots and lots of definitions out there that are good. But here's one. Justification is God's declaring a sinner to be guiltless based on faith in him. It is a free and gracious act by which God declares a sinner right with himself. Forgiving, pardoning, restoring, and accepting him based on nothing but trust in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And I believe you have that quote in your notes. That's a long introduction, but it gives us the necessary background to understand the rest of chapter 2 and leading us into chapter 3 when we'll get into that in the new year. Paul points out as he is finishing his discussion that began earlier in Galatians 2 and his confrontation of Peter that first of all, justification is not given by God due to birth. We are not justified by birth. Now that was one of the stumbling blocks that the Jews had. It tells us in Galatians 2.15, we ourselves are Jews, Paul, Peter, Barnabas, the Jewish believers by birth, but not Gentile sinners. Man's spiritual dilemma is that he is incapable of overcoming 
the total sinfulness that separate him from the holy God. So God's gracious provision of justification by faith is God's answer to man's dilemma and his need. Paul was rebuking Peter here for violating the cardinal rule of Christianity. By Peter's behavior, he was condoning a works righteousness, a system of legalism that is even contrary to the covenant given by Moses, not to mention the new covenant given by Jesus Christ. Paul sets forth what justification is in verses 15 and 16 we see today, and then next week gives us the defense of justification in verses 17 through 21. So the first subpoint we see here is they're not justified by birth, not by genetics. Not by genetics. You see, some Jews believe that because they were from the seed of Abraham, they would automatically be saved. That was it. That was their ticket into heaven. That was their way to paradise. And Jesus knocks the legs out of that argument in John chapter 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then he indicts them. He says, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. In Galatians 3, 7, Paul said, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, not by birth, but by faith. Paul uses we four times in verses 15 through 17, referring to himself and Peter and Barnabas and the other Jewish Christians. The first part of verse 15 says, Of all people, we Jews know how to live by the system of the law. We know the law's life and what it is to function under the demands of religious rituals and regulations. But yet he goes on to say in verse 15, as Jews, we are saved by faith in Christ and not the system of the law. If we as Jews cannot be saved by the law, how can we expect sinners from among the Gentiles to be saved by the law? So not by genetics. Second of all, not because Jews are separate from Gentiles. We're talking about believers here. Jewish believers, Gentile believers. Gentiles here is not referred to as sometimes it is. Other places, it's not referred to here as a derogatory word. Their behavior as Gentiles here was constantly judged, but Paul is saying a Gentile born without any understanding or teaching of the law is a sinner. Paul is saying that a Gentile who lives without the law if that person believes in Jesus Christ as his personal savior, he is born again just like a Jewish person who trusts in Christ. At the Jewish Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, Peter declared the same truth. Now remember, this is Peter talking, and of course Paul is confronting him now because he's been showing his hypocrisy by pulling back from uh, fellowshipping with the Gentile believers when the Jewish legalists came to town. This is Acts 15. This is before all this. Now, therefore, Peter said, 
Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Paul is saying to Peter, you are regressing back to your old beliefs and your convictions before your Acts 10 vision. You are putting expectations on Gentile believers that you were not living under in order to be saved. Even after salvation, these rituals and laws become optional and are not required because it wasn't keeping the law or the rituals that saves. Now let me pause here and say there's nothing wrong with celebrating the things, the feasts in the Old Testament. As long as you did them with the understanding how they point to Jesus Christ. We've done Seder meals here. We've talked about feasts. And there's nothing wrong with that. But as long as you know it's not to save you, it's not to maintain salvation, but it points to Jesus Christ, who is the complete one who fulfilled the law. Paul is saying to Peter, you are regressing back. And he's pointing it out to him to not do that again. So here's the application. God has no grandkids, but we're all sons and daughters if we put our trust and faith in him alone for salvation. You can't be adopted in. You have to come and receive Christ as your own personal savior. Every person on planet earth, except for Jesus, who was 100% God, 100% man, has to make a decision on what they're going to do with Jesus Christ. You can't be adopted in. You can't be born into a Christian family. And someone has said, just because you sleep in a garage doesn't make you a car. Just because you come to church or born into a Christian family, you are a Christian. It's a decision that each of us have to make. And we'll drive this application point home under the second point this morning. Justification is not given by God due to righteous works. Look at verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Notice three things in that verse. First of all, Paul's making a declarative statement. In the first part, the fact that good works don't justify. And he's telling the churches in Galatia this fact. Second of all, in the middle of that verse, he's saying, I, Paul, and other Jewish people, we've experienced being born again. We have, by faith, received through grace this gift of salvation. And then he reiterates the first part of that verse at the end of the verse where he says, because by the works of law, no one will be justified. He reiterates and points out for emphasis the key to that verse. So on your outline there, justification is an act of God. It's not the result of man's character or works. And that's important. And we know that as a believer in our heads. But sometimes emotionally, sometimes in certain situations, we begin to wonder, does it depend on us? when we do things that we know are wrong, when we get into periods of habitual sin and we think, God, I'm, I'm losing my salvation. I'm not doing the works. But no, this is a fact. It's like a contract. Justification is an act of God. It's not the result of man's character or works. 
What is meant here by the works of the law? The works of the law is man seeking to show his righteousness by outward sign and actions. Circumcision in the Old Testament for the males. Following the Torah. Following 613 laws. Doing the feasts. Again, these are not bad in and of themselves, but if you're depending on them for salvation, you've got your ladder up against the wrong building. Over and over in the Old Testament, God disciplined Israel because they went through the motions, but their heart was not in doing it to please God. Second, they couldn't live up to the standards perfectly. You see, no amount of law-keeping can make a person righteous because the root of sin is in man's heart. Man's basic problem is he is not defined by what he has done as far as God is concerned. We read in 1 Samuel 16, God looks on the heart. That's what's most important to him. And our sinful actions, our transgressions, begin with that depraved nature and our thoughts, and then they give birth to action and behavior. Look in James 1, 13 through 15 on the screen as we see the progression of how sin begins in our heart, in our mind, and then it gives birth. Let no one, James said, say when he is tempted, <clears throat> I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Think of Eve in the garden. She saw the fruit. She looked longer at the fruit, and then she took it. It began with her mind. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death, spiritual death. So the question is, how good do we have to be to be good enough for God? What's the standard man needs to have in order to be justified in God's sight in his own ability? Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. In Romans 3, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the law is like a mirror. We look into the perfect law of liberty, as it says in James 1, and we come up short. It shows us our sin. And in Galatians 3, it says that the law is our tutor. Some translations say our schoolmaster. Some say our guardian to bring us to salvation, to show we can't measure up. But here is the solution. It's by putting our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God so that we can have the forgiveness of sin. Martin Luther said the question is asked, how can justification take place without the works of the law, even though James says faith without works is dead? In answer, the apostle distinguishes between the law and faith, the letter and grace, the works of the law are works done without faith and grace by the law, which forces them to be done through fear or the enticing promise of temporal advantages. But works of faith are done in the spirit of liberty, purely out of love of God, and they can be done only by those who have been justified by faith. The second sub-point here we see is a justification. God declares the believing sinner righteous. He does not make him righteous. 
He declares us righteous. Before the sinner trusts Christ, he stands guilty before God. But the moment he trusts Christ, he's declared not guilty, and he can never be called guilty again. Now here's something we have to really understand is that justification is not the same as sanctification. Wow, sanctification, that's a big word. Simply means that God is in the process of making someone who's a believer in Christ to be more and more like Jesus in his personality, in his attitude, by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. So we possess within us that resurrection power as believers in Christ. So justification does not sanctify us. That's a separate process. But when a believer is justified, God gives the believer righteousness. Let's look at Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that's sanctification, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see the progression. You're justified, and then because you are justified, and you have that Holy Spirit, then you are uh, made new and more like Jesus Christ. He glorifies, makes us into his image. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that God gave us the ability to have righteousness. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. When we are justified by faith, as it tells us, in just a moment, we're going to look at Romans 5.1. When we're justified by faith, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and sets us free and makes us right in the eyes of God. So when God looks at us, he does not see our sin, but he sees us as if we've never sinned. Isn't that hard to grasp or to understand? Because we have a thing called our memory. And that memory keeps bringing those things up, and Satan loves to remind us. But when God sees us under the blood... He sees us as if we've never sinned. And that's why you should claim Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Every morning when we wake up, we're standing on the grace and the fact that we are justified by faith through grace in Jesus Christ. And then it says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So one thing to know here that justification leads to sanctification, but the works of the law never lead to sanctification. The law is powerless to do that. In Romans 8, it tells us, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The law cannot save. It cannot change us. It cannot transform us. And so I'll finish with this last point and we'll finish the rest next week. Justification is not simply forgiveness, but means you cannot be held guilty before God even when you sin. Now we have a new nature. 
And that new nature should make us want to desire to do everything we can to glorify God. And that Holy Spirit's going to convict us, as it tells us in John 14 and John 16. He's going to convict us of our sin. But we know that we're going to continue to sin even though we're new creations in Christ. And you see, as we grow in Christ, our sin should grow less and less as we move along in our spiritual journey. We're shedding bad habits. We're dropping our sin as we take on more and more of the new nature. And God will not judge us when we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.10. When we stand before him, he will not judge us on our sin. He will judge us on our works, our motives, our attitudes. Matthew says our words as well. Because the stain of sin was already removed by the blood of Christ. So hold on to this promise in Isaiah 118 as we close this morning. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Isn't that amazing? And whether we believe that or not, it's true because it's the word of God. So may our minds, may our thoughts... May when Satan brings up all of the sin and drudges up our ugly past, may we claim that verse, that we are covered with the blood of Christ, that our sins are taken away, as we'll talk more about next week. And we'll talk about next week all the benefits of being justified by faith. Let's pray together. Father, we've only begun to dig into the depths of this great doctrine of justification. And Lord, it's something that's practical in our lives every day. If we believe that we are justified by faith and we stand on that grace, then we have confidence, we have assurance, we have peace, we have access to the very throne room of God and so many more benefits that we take for granted. And Lord, help us, help us to know who we are and know how you look at us as our Savior. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name.